Chris, thank you for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Now, you've been involved with making games since the early 80s. Now, what are some of the highlights of your work, and how does World stack up in comparison, intensity and commitment-wise? Uh, well, I, I guess probably most people would know my work mainly uh, through role-playing games I've done. I did uh, a James Bond role-playing game that uh, people still talk about. Uh, I did uh, some N64 role-playing games, um, and I had done some baseball work, actually. And it's sort of funny, the people who know me from role-playing games don't know me as a baseball game designer and vice versa. <laughs> and when they sort of find out I work in the other space, they kind of look at me odd, because baseball fans don't normally hang out with D&D &D players, so that's kind of interesting. Um, in terms of commitment... I mean, I, I'm a game design professional, and what that means to me is that I could be designing a Care Bears game, and it would get my full attention and emotional okay. commitment. So it's, you know, I immerse myself in whatever topic I, uh, I work on. So you, but you've done a lot of really different, distinct titles. Do you think that helps you when you're tackling a new problem? I've done this, and I've done this. So this is like well, really it, not it, out of the ordinary. My original training was in theater. I was a set lighting and costume designer. And the real unifying thing to me is the thought process by which I take something that exists in another medium and transfer it into a new medium. Um, as a set costume designer, you're taking the written word and visualizing it. Mm -hmm. So you look for attributes in those words to inspire your visuals and then let you create the visuals. So it's a transfer process. Uh, and the first big game design I ever did was James Bond game. And I approached the Bond game exactly the same way I would design a set, which sounds really odd. But I always look for like a defining concept or moment in the original work that I can extract out and use it to inspire uh, the game design. Mm -hmm. In the Bond game, it was a moment in the novel Casino Royale when he's, I can remember the moment vividly, uh, he's sitting on a park bench and he realizes that the guy on the park bench across from him is probably going to try to assassinate him. And that mindset of the intuition he had and the sort of deductive process he did of figuring out that the guy wasn't really reading his newspaper, he was really looking at him, inspired the whole way I did the game design. So it isn't so much for me uh, the breadth of topics, it's really the original thought process I was trained to use when I was a designer. Okay. How long have you been watching SG-1? I watched about a dozen episodes off and on before I was approached for the job, and since then I've watched every episode. Really? So, wow. uh, I mean, it, again, it's, I mean, I, when I was designing the Bond game, I had never read a Bond novel before I did it, and I just got the job and dove in and read all the novels and then kind of assimilated the material. Um, so, I mean, was I aware of the show? Of course I was aware of the show. Did I watch the show with my wife on mm -hmm. occasion? Sure. Uh, but I really became interested in, in what the show was and how it worked mm -hmm. once I got the job. Okay. But Stargate really is a day job, but it, are you, do you also consider yourself a fan? Uh, now, yeah. I mean, certainly not before I got the job. Right. 
it was another television show, right? Um, but uh, the first thing I really tried to do when I began watching the show is to figure out why it worked. Right. Um, shows don't last on TV as long as it has lasted without having some fundamental thing it does really, really well. What does Stargate do that does really that it does really well? It it mixes it personalizes science fiction stories to me. The the thing I saw in it right away was this mixture of the science fiction setting with real deep emotional character stories. Uh, it's what separated it from Star Trek to me. <clears throat> it's what separated it from a lot of TV science fiction where they seem to worry more about all the doodads and the gizmos <laughs> than about the people, right? right? And it really is a show about the team and the bonding on the team. Um, I, I was approached to work on the project, and I sat down with my wife to watch some episodes. Um, and I think I talked to you about this at one point or another, where I saw this episode, it's, I think it's the last episode in season seven, when Jack's being taken over by the ancient memory mm -hmm. and, he can't, and he can't talk anymore yeah. and Tilk comes up to him and it's obvious that Tilk wants to tell him that he loves him but doesn't get the words out and Jack sort of reaches up and touches his cheek and the communication that occurred between the two characters in that moment it really hit me at that, at that instant that this was really what the show was about and it was the camaraderie between the team members that set up everything else that the show tried to do. Mm. Um, and so it was that mixture of emotional character-driven stories with a science fiction setting that gave the show its depth. Uh, secondarily for me was the show doesn't sort of, it weaves in this additional emotional moment of not taking itself too overly seriously. The whistling of the Stargate theme while riding the elevator, yeah. the references to MacGyver, um, the he plays one on a television show line. I mean, <laughs> all this stuff to me is very endearing because it sort of includes the audience in the show. And it's part of what I think makes the, the, the fans of the show so loyal is that they feel kind of in on the joke. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what separated the show to me from its competition. And so it really all came back to the writing in the end and how the writers approached the show. What did you think of 200 in terms of, of that nudging the fans? Well, I mean, I think it's just part of the whole, like, fun that they have with the whole idea, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was particularly inventive... Um, to, to sort of have these ex-Farscape actors kind of riff on the Farscape <laughs> thing. It's a very television thing to do. It goes all the way back to, like, St. Elsewhere. And, I mean, I, I saw it last night on an episode of Brothers and Sisters where Rob Moore made a remark about he used to have a thing for Demi Moore. Well, that goes back, <laughs> that goes back to the movie they were both in, right? And right. so fans of TV are very self-aware, and I thought that was really a, a well-done episode in that vein. So how did you get involved with Worlds? You alluded that you'd only seen about 12 episodes before. Right, well, really triggered this. I, um, I was looking for my next uh, job in the game business. Um, and uh, my, my game design history goes back to what we would call pencil and paper games. In the early 80s when uh, the first computer games were coming out, 
the large part of the hobby played a lot of games with books and dice and pencils and maps and pieces. Uh, so my design uh, background goes all the way back to those days. Um, my resume came across the desk of Joey Barra, who's the vice president uh, of the studio here. Um, he was attracted to the fact that I had this depth of experience, that I had done other licensed products. Um, he interviewed me and brought me on board. And so you've been, how, when, when did you join Cheyenne at that I point? think my first day was December 3rd of 05. Okay, so the so company was a few months uh, old. It's been about 14, 15 months. Oh, right. Are you pleased with the progress of the game so far? Yeah, uh, I'm really proud of the game. I'm pleased with how far we've gotten. Uh, we have some basic kind of conceits about how we were going to approach the product. Um, from a, a game-playing point of view, one of the things we really wanted to do was to change the fundamental dynamic of the way an MMO plays. Um, most of the successful MMOs are, you know, men and women in tights running around smacking things <laughs> with swords. That's not happening so much on Stargate. Um, you know, Stargate's more about uh, in the combat area, it's more about, you know, people armed with ranged weapons, staff weapons for the Jaffa, P90s for SG-1, firing at each other over distance. We, th we saw that as an opportunity to do something brand new in the MMO space. Oh. We've concentrated most of our combat system design on delivering... Uh, a, an open world sort of ranged combat mechanic, people firing at each other from cover, maneuvering around, trying to outflank each other. It's very different from the typical MMO gameplay, and uh, I think we've done something revolutionary, and I'm pretty excited about it. Great. Um, second focus that we had was, you know, there's four members of the SG-1 team, Two of them, while they certainly, you know, will pick up a gun and fire it, are more known for their intellectual mm -hmm. problem solving. Um, Sam being the scientist and uh, Michael Shanks playing the archaeologist character. Um, that has never really been done in the MMO space as well. So we're weaving in sort of problem solving for those two archetypes so that we get kind of the emotional uh, pastiche of the show in the game activities that you do. Um, it isn't just enough for me to look at the simple solution, which is, oh, they have combat in Stargate. Okay, well, we'll do a combat game. Ah, uh, you're not just taking one piece of it. Right, I'm trying, you know, I, again, it goes back to kind of like how I view the problem, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, to me, it's about delivering an experience in a game that has its emotional roots in the original IP. Um, a game isn't a TV show, but, you know, if at the end of an evening's play you feel like that universe that you've just inhabited is the same universe that you would see when you watch the show, 
I think that I've succeeded. So it mm-hmm. needs to have a little combat. It needs to have a little problem solving. It needs to have a little funny. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's another thing, right? Since the show doesn't take itself so seriously, mm-hmm. and since you know Richard Dean Anderson's humor pervaded the show, and pervaded their approach to the way they delivered funny, the game has to make you laugh on occasion as well. So I need to sort of try to hit all those notes. Are we hitting all those notes so far? Well, in combat, absolutely, we're hitting those notes. The little games we've made to do the pop to emulate the problem solving, I think, are brilliant. Um, I think that they could stand on their own as little you know, games you might like download on the internet. Um, Good. Now, the the funny, we'll see. We haven't built any missions in the game yet. We haven't delivered that, but uh, I've hired writers who, whose work I would like to hold up as being good enough for the show, mm. right? I, I, the histo- history of bad writing in video games is particularly yeah. makes me crazy. Um, I think that it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, and what I mean by that is... Um, Gamers don't expect much of the writing because historically it's been pretty bad, so they assume it's always going to be bad. Right. What I really want to try to do is to, to make people laugh because it's really funny, uh-huh. um, to deliver some of that back and forth between the players and the characters they meet in the world so that you get the whole emotional range of and the show. And that really is Stargate in the process. So That would be what I'm aiming for. That's right. Can you briefly describe your uh, weekend, week-out routine working with this team? And also, what do you encourage and what do you expect? Uh, Well, you know, for me, in what I do, I spend 70% of my time in meetings. Mm. Uh, (laughs) um, I meet with the artists to go over the latest artwork. I meet with the programmers to make sure they're building the game and they don't have any problems and compromise over the things that we need to compromise on. You know, it's sort of a a fixed size bucket, right? We have a certain amount of money, we have a certain amount of people, and we have a certain uh, time frame in which we want the game to come out. And those those forces at work cause us to not be able to deliver every single thing we've ever imagined that the game might have in it. Um, You know, and then I meet with my three department heads uh, to talk about any particular problem that they might have. Um, you know, what worlds we're doing, what they look like, how the story interacts with the worlds, what happens when, you know, a player character in the world gets shot. I mean, all these details sort of come up in meetings that we discuss, and then the teams go out and sort of work on the low-level details of making them happen. Um, and I spend some of my time prepping for meetings with the outside world, with the press. I spend some of my time prepping for meetings with the investors, some of my time prepping for meetings with my boss. Um, so I guide the process, but I do very little of the actual sitting down and like writing the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. Now, what I look for in people that I hire is um, really that role of assembling the staff is uh, 
I think, my most important job. Um, certainly, I, you know, I must articulate what the vision of the game is. I must communicate that vision to people. Uh, I had to sort of sell, uh, you know, Brad Wright and Robert Cooper what the vision of the game was early on. But once that was done, uh, to, to, to sort of link it to like a baseball analogy, I think that the most important job of a baseball manager is to pick the 25 guys he goes north with after spring training. I think that my most important job was to hire a team that I thought could 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 deliver the game. I'd sort of rather be the, the, the dumbest guy in the room than the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> Because if they're all smart, then I'll look smart, and uh, you know the, the game will get built. But uh, so what? What it means is I look for people who can think for themselves. Yeah. I look for people who have a broad range of experience, and I don't only mean um, game design experience. Uh -huh. um, game design, on some levels, is a very imitative art, and by that I mean we look at. Often we look at you know uh, things that have been done in another medium. Stargate is a good example, and we try to extract out of it some sort of gameplay and deliver that gameplay. Well, to me, that it's always advantageous if the people that I hire are passionately interested in other things as well as games, mm -hmm. and especially if they've had a background in other medium. Um, you know, my lead system designer, Zeb Cook, uh, was originally a theater guy. And then he taught English for a while. And then he did AD&D for a long time. And then, you know, he moved into the computer game business. So he's got this broad background. Josh Kurtz, my lead world builder, uh, went to film school originally before he went to work for Blizzard on World of Warcraft. Uh, my lead content designer... Uh, Sean Dugan uh, was a writer and a magazine editor before I hired him on Earth and Beyond. And because of this breadth, they can bring lots of other experiences to bear. Games are ultimately an entertainment medium, so experience in any other entertainment form, whether it's novel writing or film or theater or TV, is always a plus for me mm -hmm. because it really is about knowing how to entertain an audience. Okay. The big burning question going around, when is this game going to be playable? Can you give us an approximate, vague, possibly not? Uh, I, the only thing I can really tell you is that we'll release it when we and MGM feel it's ready to go. Okay, so you're not going to release it undone. That's No, that's we're not really going to release it undone. And uh, some representatives from MGM were here last week, and they articulated that exact position. Uh, we were uh, meeting with some potential publishing partners, and uh, you know we have a plan and a schedule because we'd be kind of irresponsible if we didn't have a plan and a schedule. Okay. But it's going to get driven by when we think it's ready, ultimately. Good. There's a rumor going around that it's going to be sometime in 2007. That's not going to happen, right? I wouldn't bet on that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Information regarding the game's archetypes has uh, recently been released as well. Users will be able to play an archaeologist, Asgard, ghoul, Jaffa, scientist, soldier, or a commando. Was it difficult to hollow out these choices, and what do you feel about them will present the most interesting and entertaining gaming experience that there can be? Well, let's see. Um, they were arrived at, after a long series of meetings, 
where we tried to ultimately emulate the dramatic situations that we saw on the show. That was really what drove us. Um, that kind of gave us the initial list of what things people would want to do. Second thing was uh, fans of the show, what would they have always longed to do? Uh, you know, obviously there's there's some easy answers, which is be a member of SG-1. That's mm -hmm. certainly obvious. But the Asgard have been a particular emotional favorite for many people who are fans of the show. The Gould, I think, are amazingly interesting. Um, you know, and even though the show portrays them as you know nefarious, shall we say, <laughs> um, one of the things that I looked for in the opportunity to design the game was, effectively, if you think about it, the story of what's happened over the last ten seasons has been told through SG-1's eyes. It would be an interesting story um, to tell that same ten-year arc through the eyes of the Gould, because you can't assume that the Gould are stupid I mean, they've dominated the galaxy for, I don't know, 10,000 years. I'm just making that up. I don't know how long. <laughs> but, I mean, most people out in the galaxy other than the humans of Earth speak Gould. I mean, they're a big deal in the Milky Way. They couldn't have pulled that off if they were inherently stupid, right? Yeah. Okay, flawed perhaps, <laughs> stupid not necessarily. So I was really fascinated with the Gould story because I, I had an idea that it could be really interesting to play on that side of the fence, viewing the SG-1 as kind of the usurpers to an empire that they had long worked to build and maintain. So um, both the Asgard and Gould were very attractive to me. Um, the other sort of races, especially the, the alliance races, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I know that they are emotional favorites for some of the fans, but we were looking not only for attractive races for the player, but races that would give us activities for the player yeah. to do, right? Yeah. It's not enough to dress up like a Nox. You have to give the Nox something that makes sense for them to be doing in the conflict that you imbue the universe with, right? Um and so early on, what we were working with is not only what play activities would be available for the characters, but what the story was, because ultimately those two things have to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So you have to say, all right, what's at stake in the universe? What do people care about? Right. Um, how are these chosen archetypes effectively involved in the conflict and have something immediate to do and at stake mm -hmm. because of the conflict. And you add into that sort of soup needing to ship the game within our lifetimes. <laughs> um, so you get this kind of, okay, so we'll try to tell this kind of story with these kind of characters, give the players something important to do in that story, and limit the the number of things that we have to build so that we can actually get the game out the door. And at the end of all that process came the fact that initially 
we had sort of started out with, well, there's Human, and there's Gould, and there's Asgard, and then in each of those, and Jaffa, of course, and in each of those races, they're going to give, give you these professions, and then we'll, and by the time we kept boiling away at that mixture, we ended up realizing that there wasn't really enough to separate professions in these non-human races, that they might have individual skill sets, but that a Gould was really a Gould and Asgard was really an Asgard. And you know, the idea of an Asgard medic as opposed to an Asgard scientist just sort of seemed a little weird. Mm. So we sort of collapsed the archetypes but gave them individual sets of skills that they could choose. It's, that also must be a di very difficult problem because a lot of the things that people resonate with, like say the Ori or the Ancients, don't really translate well into a video game medium. I mean, something that's intangible. Well, I mean, the other thing that we were sort of wrestling with was uh, the, you can't just look at like what a particular archetype might be at its highest level of power. You need to look at the beginning level, the mid-level, and mm -hmm. the high level. Mm -hmm. How do the characters grow in ability? Uh, what changes over time? How do they play with other archetypes in teams? Um, yeah, and the Ori you know, failed on a number of those kinds of counts. Um, and so it was kind of a mixture of many things going together that led us to the archetypes we chose. Okay. How committed are you to following canon for all of those die-hard canon hogs out there? Yeah, okay. I've been one of them. I admit it. Well, okay. So uh, you and I have had this discussion. So <laughs> um, my major guiding principle is the tone and spirit of the show. Um, secondarily, uh, we were told early on by Brad Wright and Robert Cooper that we had the, their encouragement to show parts of the universe that we would invent that they couldn't do on the TV series. For budgetary reasons, it's very difficult for them to show a big galactic fleet action in space, right? Very difficult to pull off. Uh, it's very difficult for them to pull off any kind of huge land battle with lots of soldiers. Mm -hmm. Very tough to do. They're limited in the sets that they can use. They're limited in the costumes they can use. You know, it's, it's a television show with a, a tight budget, and they do the best they can. So... In a game environment, we're not limited in the same way. We're limited in other interesting sort of ways. Um, you know, we probably have a longer pre-production cycle than, than even a feature film does because mm -hmm. we're effectively building everything from scratch. You know, we, we just can't, you know, throw four pieces of wood together and put some canvas on it and pretend it's a wall. We sort of have to build the wall from scratch right. in a weird kind of way. Um, you know, we can't just hire an actor and get with that actor, you know, the sense of humor and the physicality. We have to build that character from scratch. You know, every every limb, every every joint sort of has to be constructed. So some things are easier for us, but some things are equally hard. Mm -hmm. um, 
Okay, so that being said, we evaluated the story we wanted to tell. We evaluated the locations in the universe. We picked places, some places that we felt were emotional touchstones for the player. Um, you know, uh, SGC is sort of like the prime example. You can't do a Stargate game without doing SGC, right? It's going yeah. to happen. Um, but when the either the career of the character or the um, the story demanded a new location be invented, we felt empowered to go ahead and create that new location. Um, now, we th there is probably a line that we draw where fun, the desire to make the, f the game fun will overcome the desire to make it absolutely indelibly match the mm. canon that exists in the show. Does that mean that we willy-nilly just change things? Of course that's not true. Um, you know, uh, on the forums, for instance, uh, in, in our forums, I've seen an occasional, uh, hey, wait a minute, how, how, how can you play a level one ghoul, right? Uh, that sort of is a little odd. Aren't they endowed with genetic memory? And aren't mm. they, okay. Um, in those instances, we have made an effort to bridge the gap between what you see in the show and what we're doing in the universe with respect to the show being the ultimate sort of word, the ultimate answer to that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it was sort of interesting in the forums in that people were like, oh, I get to play a ghoul. Oh, that's really cool, which was the reaction I was sort of looking for, right? That they understand that in a game environment, um, playing a ghoul, would, a ghoul would be really, really cool. Uh, and as long as we don't like totally ignore what the show says about the ghoul, they're pretty much okay with that. But I think that everything we're doing is within the spirit of the show. And and, and you know, t the final word is, I'm sure, I'm certain that somewhere in the game we'll have a location that is going to look slightly different from the way it looks on the television show. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, on that level we're trying, you know, I mean, Dakara, Chulak, these, these iconic locations are going to look like they look on the show, right? But we can't get every level of detail correct because we're trying for the feeling of the thing rather than whether this coat of paint identically matches the coat of paint you see on your television monitor, if you understand what I'm yes, saying. Yes, definitely. And Sam's hairstyle change, God knows. <laughs> <laughs> Which can be a blessing and a curse, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> for as number of many many number of times it has happened. Correct. So far, what has been the biggest challenge in bringing this game to life? That's a good question. The the biggest challenge really has been embracing and delivering on the promise of expanding the typical MMO gameplay style. Mm -hmm. um, you know, players, game players in general, uh, love to talk about, you know, what they want to see that's new, but they tend to speak with their dollars buying things that they already know. Uh, yeah. You know, and 
So trying to deliver them something that feels comfortable and uh, uh, evokes, you know, old, warm, fuzzy feelings, and yet at the same time trying to do some innovation, innovative stuff is really the biggest challenge. You know, getting people involved in the project, their passion for Stargate, mm -hmm. I mean, that's been easy. Um, and Stargate maps so really well to the MMO space that that's been pretty easy. Interestingly enough, I, uh, let me articulate I mean, that a little bit. When people talk about how well Stargate maps to the MMO space, the thing that they often talk about is, well, the universe is segmented into these individual worlds, and the gate provides transportation between the worlds, and we can go back and forth really easily, and that's kind of how an MMO works, and that's pretty cool. I think that that's like almost irrelevant. The thing that I think really makes Stargate work really well for the MMO space is that the activities that you see the heroes in the show doing every minute map to MMO gameplay. Mm. You know, the basic MMO game paradigm is a handful of, of people with differing skill sets coming together to do a task. And that's like the definition of what SG1, right? Um, and I can, I can, I can, like one of the things we do is we look at episodes and try to map them into missions we might give to the player. And you know, with the exception of maybe you know uh, Sam going out on a date, uh, <laughs> which is a little tough to pull off in an MMO space. <laughs> a lot of the episodes really you can just deliver them as a mission pretty directly, mm -hmm. right? You give the team the problem, the team has to go off and solve it. They might have to go off in two different directions at the same time, but maybe come back together at the end. There maybe is a little fighting, there's a little puzzle solving, there's they have to go talk, and you know, all it's these the activities game. are easy to emulate in the game space, which is what makes it such a powerful mm. IP for me. Definitely. Stargate, it has such a strong and loyal fan base. The team at Cheyenne has high expectations to meet. Do you think it's a help or a hindrance that so many fans are meticulously monitoring this game's development? Okay, so this is a mixed blessing, I think. Yeah. Um, it is very similar to me to what happens when a film production company buys a novel and they want to make a movie of that novel. They have to interpret it. Right? I mean, Peter Jackson and his work on Lord of the Rings, the, the hurdle that he had to jump was really, really high. Um, and, you know, he and uh, his screenwriters have articulated on the net in many places mm -hmm. the fact that you just have to change stuff, right? You yeah. can't, I mean... You know, as much as it might be painful, Tom Bombadil didn't make the cut because yeah. it slowed the movie down. Well, and the I'm book so, was not a movie. And you I'm know? So, right, okay, but I agree with what you're saying. However, not every fan of yeah. Tolkien agreed with what you were saying. Okay, yeah. so while the passion and the interest that you when you get as part of the package when you uh, sign up for an IP is um, useful. Um, the fans have to be willing to say, "All right, well, 
you know, this isn't exactly the show. Now, we're delivering something that will undeniably be SG-1 mm-hmm. in the video game space. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as the fans are willing, for instance, to say, all right, you know, I'm going to uh, accept the fact that the, the Gould character that I'm creating isn't going to come out of the box dominating the universe. <laughs> um, as long as people are willing to make that kind of compromise, I think we're okay. Okay, good. For non-Stargate gamers, though, what will Worlds offer them that no other MMO experience can? The, the change in the basic fundamental gameplay paradigm. Okay. Um, non-combat gameplay will be a viable way to level, which uh, is almost unheard of. Uh, the combat paradigm for MMO game players, which is you take a fighter, you put him at the front of the group, you have a healer who's healing him constantly, and you have a wizard who's kind of doing sort of this, this you know, uh, area effect damage to the bad guy, isn't our combat paradigm. Our combat paradigm is much more akin to uh, a squad of, of soldiers, each with a similar but slightly different set of skills working in team to take on multiple enemies at once. Can you give us any kind of an inkling as to the current storyline that's being proposed for the game? I'd rather not at this point. Um, It's still in process. Um, It's been a real challenge to try to find a storyline that fits into the canon, Mm -hmm. uh, a place to put that storyline, because ultimately... Uh, once it goes live, the vast majority of it is fixed in time, right? Uh, it's very difficult to change whole cloth all of the content in an MMO once it goes live. You can add to the fringes over here. You can mm-hmm. sort of do an expansion pack over in this corner. But mm-hmm. the fundamental world itself is going to stay pretty much the way you shipped it. And really, you know, at at some point we're going to nail the whole thing down but at this point I I know the basic storyline, that's pretty much not going to change but since some of the worlds that need to get built to support that aren't set in stone yet, Mm -hmm. uh, I'd rather not commit myself at this time. Do you think fans of the overall Stargate franchise will be pleased? Yeah, no, I think that they will. I think that you know, it's it's a storyline that we think could have happened. Um, okay. It's it's a little more epic than the typical episode might be. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, um, it, it's kind of like you, you you might you might describe it this way: if at a point in the show's history, uh, you know, Wright and Cooper had the opportunity to stop and tell a movie at that point in time. This, mm. this might have been the movie they might have told. Okay. Okay. Good. Uh, what, kind of a, what kind of planets can we expect to play, and what original worlds are you particularly excited about? Um, well, the, the, the video game nature of what we can do allows us to do a little more zero-gravity sort of stuff, moons, sort of uh, worlds that have multiple suns and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. It's a science fiction universe. And it, it's part of what Wright and Cooper sort of encouraged us to do was 
to to deliver the kinds of vistas that they might have trouble delivering. Oh, okay. Um, it's a mixture of about 50% worlds that have appeared on the show and 50% worlds that we've invented whole cloth. That's a pretty good balance. Yeah. Um, okay. And, you know, again, it, they shoot in Vancouver, so everything yeah. tends to sort of have a, a tinge of Vancouver to it, right? Mm. We can go outside that kind of thing, and we, you know, are interested in exploring uh, science fiction cultures in many different kinds of genres, so. Okay. When launch time comes, do you intend to have your own player in the universe? And if so, what side will you be on? Oh, well, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a diehard MMO player. Um, I'm sure I'll have more than one character uh, <laughs> at launch. Um, my first character will probably play on the Gould side of the fence for the reasons that I've articulated. Mm. I think it's a more interesting story on some levels. I mean, interesting in the sense it's a story we don't know, right? Right. You know, I mean, seen their angle. You know, uh, we all can sort of articulate the arc of of Jack O'Neill's career and what happened and how he related and and all that. To me, the the interesting stuff is how the 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 opposite side of the fence can kind of be told in a fresh way. Dan, do you plan on uh, overseeing the hopefully many expansions that fans will demand? That's really a strategic decision for Cheyenne. Um, You know, there are people underneath me who uh, are looking for opportunities to grow. Um, I may be more valuable to Cheyenne, you know, working on a different project. I may be more valuable to Cheyenne on the live team. Um, Hard to say, don't know. Okay. Uh, that's you know, that's a decision that'll get made probably in the two or three months just prior to launch. Okay. But we've certainly we're laying the plans now the, for what the expansions will be like. So I'll sort of be involved in them whether I'm actually, you know, day to day doing it or not. Where do you see yourself heading after Worlds? No idea. You're not going to retire, are you? <laughs> no, um, but you know, I mean, if you know, if you want to get technical about it, uh, you know, a couple three months before this offer came, I didn't know I was going to be here. So we'll just have to see. And uh, since I've had this really weird career of doing games in any genre, it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, who knows where you're going to end who up knows? next? Could be doing Smurfs or something.